My calendar tells me it's almost Christmas, but this weather would seem to argue otherwise, right? Makes me think that maybe we've got something confused. But, uh, but yeah, Christmas is really, really close. Anybody got all their Christmas shopping done? Not too many people. All right, all right. Uh, anybody yet to start their Christmas shopping? Okay, that's good. Everybody right in the middle. Well, hey, this morning we are going to talk about a topic on which I am something of an expert. Uh, that does not happen very often to preachers. Most of the time, you know, I'm just a step ahead of you, maybe not even that. Need to hear the things that are being said just as much as anybody. But man, this morning, I got this licked. I am an expert on what we're going to talk about today because we're talking about fatherhood. Now, uh, of course, I'm being a bit tongue-in-cheek. I need to hear this as much as anyone. And if you're not a father, if you're never going to be a father, you need to hear what we're going to talk about today because we're talking about the way that God himself is a father and how he wants to show his love to you and to me. And I joke that I'm an expert on fatherhood, but I only say that because I have seven children, so I've been around the block a little bit. Uh, when it comes to kids, or at least I've had a lot of chances to experiment, you know. Uh, one of them is going to turn out well, at least uh, just statistically speaking, right? But uh, I love my kids. Each one of them has taught me uh, just quite a bit about what it means to be a father. And you can tell from the picture, not all these kids look like me. Most of you know my lovely wife and I, we've got three biological kids, four kids that we've adopted, and they're all blessings in different ways. And and, you know, being a parent's challenging uh, in, in so many ways, but being like a, a step-parent or an adoptive parent is a unique kind of challenge. And I say it's unique because when you have a biological child, you're there with them from the beginning, right? You're, you're the only parent they've known, the only source of, of uh, nurture and care and love and security, all the things that children need, right? But when you're the kind of parent who steps in later as an adoptive parent or, like I said, as a step-parent, then things are different. You have to build that level of trust. It does not come naturally. You have to work at it. It's a process that takes some time, and and it's not easy. And what happens is you have to constantly demonstrate that you are for those children. You have to demonstrate to them over and over again that you love them, that you want to meet their needs, that you're capable of meeting their needs, and that you care enough about them to constantly be for them, no matter what. It's It's a process. And And as you know, kids will test you. I mean, all kids will will test their parents. But when you're forming that kind of adoptive relationship, you have to constantly demonstrate that you can care for these children, that you're able to care for them, and that you love them enough to care for them. Those two things are so important, the ability to care for someone and, and the desire to care for them. That's exactly what God has done for us. God has demonstrated that he is capable of meeting your needs and my needs. And God has demonstrated that he is for you and me. He cares about you and me. We're in the middle of a series called Light of the World, and it's Christmas time. There's lights all around. Anybody here gone out looking at Christmas lights? Okay, okay. Not You guys got to get in the holiday spirit, man. No. Uh, anybody got overboard in decorating their house this year? Jim Willard must be in the other service. He's not in here. So, uh, But we've called this light of the world not because uh, Christmas lights all around, but because of one particular passage in the Bible. All this month we've been exploring one particular verse, and it's a verse that comes out of the book of Isaiah. 
And at Christmas time, of course, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. His story is told in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so it's a little odd, perhaps, that we wouldn't look at those books, the Christmas story right there, but instead look at the book of Isaiah. And it's, uh, it's especially odd when you consider that the book of Isaiah was written 600 years before Jesus was born. But God, like a good father, just like we sang about this morning, he demonstrates his love for you and for me. He demonstrates it over and over and over. He demonstrated it hundreds of years before Jesus was born in this verse that we're going to look at from Isaiah. So let's look together at the verse. This comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So here's Isaiah telling us about this light of the world, this light that has come to a people walking in darkness, the light that's come to show the people that God cares about them. God is demonstrating his love for them, that he's loving and good. He's demonstrating that he's capable of caring for these people, people who walk in darkness. And how does he demonstrate that? Who is this light, this great light? Look a little bit further down, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The light, this, this great light that has come to demonstrate God's love is a child. To us a child is born. And even though this verse was written 600 years before Jesus was born, it's a verse that predicts something about Jesus. This verse tells us that God is demonstrating his love for you and me through this child. And notice the description of this child. He's no ordinary child. He's, he's wonderful. He's a wonderful counselor. And if that's not enough, he's mighty God. This child, over the past two Sundays, we've talked about those two names, those two titles of this child, Jesus. And this week, we're going to talk about the third title that's in this passage, Everlasting Father. And when we see Father in the Bible, we we kind of automatically think of God, God, the Father. And this passage does have a strong sense of the Trinity, the, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. They all seem to be represented here. Of course, Jesus is the child, the Father, God sent him to us. And, and in the Gospels, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a counselor. So we get a hint of the Holy Spirit here, wonderful counselor. And so when we see Father, everlasting Father here, we naturally want to think of God the Father. But interestingly, this passage is all about the child, the Son, Jesus. The, the, the title Everlasting Father is not necessarily about God the Father, but it's describing Jesus who loves us as an everlasting Father. And a good father constantly demonstrates that he is for his children. He constantly demonstrates that he is capable of meeting their needs. He brings light to darkness. So this passage tells us that God demonstrates these things through Jesus. God sent Jesus to show us that he loves us, to show us he's capable of meeting our needs, and and to just put it more simply, Jesus demonstrates that God is capable of loving us, and he's compassionate in his love. Capable and compassionate. Those two demonstrations are what I want us to explore together this morning. First, God demonstrates that he's capable of meeting our needs, our our deepest needs. And and he demonstrates that capability through Jesus. 
Notice the first part of this title, Everlasting. Everlasting is an indication of just who this child really is. Jesus was born at a particular place and time, but at the same time, he's everlasting. He has no beginning and no end. There never was a time when Jesus was not. He's always been around. You you could translate this phrase as the forever father. That's the idea here. He's always existed, and he always will. And a father like me, a father who has limits, I can demonstrate my love for my children, but my love is ultimately limited. But with Jesus, his love has no limits. It's everlasting. It goes on forever. So Jesus demonstrates that God is capable of eternal love. He's better than any other kind of father, better than any other kind of love. His love has no end. He's not bound by time or space. Jesus can love you and me even though he lived on earth 2,000 years ago, his fatherly love knows no end. It's everlasting. And because he's everlasting, he's capable of meeting our needs, our deepest needs. When you and I try to meet the needs of our children, we have limits. But Jesus has no limits. Let me explain it to you this way. As a pastor, you know, I, I enjoy demonstrating care for people. Hopefully that's not a surprise to anybody. Uh, A lot of times, you know, for example, I'll go to visit somebody in the hospital, right? Just as a way to encourage them, just to show them that I care, to demonstrate that I am for them. But my care has limits. I'm not a doctor. I can express sympathy for people. I can uh, uh, express some care and concern, but I'm not capable of meeting all their needs. I can sympathize, but I can't do anything to heal a broken bone or, or a heart condition or whatever. My care and concern has limits. But that's not true with this child. This child who's a great light, a light for people walking in the darkness because he's everlasting. He won't ever go away. I told you I was an expert father. That's not really true. I fall short of God in this area. I'm not everlasting. Around my house, uh, older kids like to stay up late, but the younger kids, they get up early, and uh, that's okay for them, but it's a little challenging for me because I want to be up with the older kids, trying to invest in them, uh, but I got to get up early with the younger kids, right? And I want to show my love and care for all of them, but my, my love and care has limits. I need coffee. Uh, early in the morning, my fatherly care and concern uh, is not uh, full until I've had my sufficient amount of coffee. My love and care has limits, right? Maybe you can relate. Hopefully I'm not the only one there. And, and maybe thinking about God uh, loving you as a father, maybe that makes you think about yourself, maybe it makes you think about your own father, and maybe that's hard. Too many of us come from homes where our earthly father did not demonstrate love and care for us, didn't demonstrate that he was capable of meeting our needs. When we think about fathers, our picture might be a whole lot different than the picture that Isaiah paints for us here. Uh, I read some really sobering statistics about fathers. One of those is simply the fact that 40% of all the kids in America live without a father, 40%. And and one-third of those hardly ever see their father. Maybe that describes you or your own experience growing up. But when the cultural pictures of fathers show men who are unengaged or unfaithful or irrelevant, it shouldn't surprise us that people have a hard time coming to God as a father, or thinking about Jesus loving us as an everlasting father. When good qualities like strength turn into abuse, or when the noble desire to be a protector turns into to domineering or a demanding presence in home, why would anybody want to run to God as a father? 
If the only examples you have are bad ones, it's really hard to embrace the fatherly love that Jesus has to offer. But that's not the kind of father that God wants to be. God demonstrates that he is capable of meeting your needs over and over again because he's an everlasting father. His capacity for meeting us has no end. And I'm talking about real deep needs, not just physical needs, not just things we want but we think we need. God is everlasting. He knows what we really need deep down, the kind of needs that nobody else can meet. And maybe you're a person who spent a whole lot of time or energy or money trying to meet those needs, trying to earn enough or or achieve enough or gather enough stuff or status to really feel like those needs are met. But, But deep down, you know the truth. There's still something missing, a hole so big that no amount of money or things or status or achievement can fill it. And a need so deep that only an everlasting father can meet it. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews also tells us this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is everlasting. He's capable of loving us. And in a world where fathers have continually disappointed us, where we disappoint our own kids, it's hard to imagine that somebody could love us with an everlasting love. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same great light that gave hope to people walking in darkness almost 3,000 years ago is the same light that was born in a manger 2,000 years ago, and it's the same light that's capable of meeting your needs today. Jesus wants to show you that he is an everlasting father. He is capable, capable of meeting your deepest needs. So Jesus is capable of meeting our needs. That's one aspect of what it means that Jesus is an everlasting father. He'll always be there for us. And beyond that, the love that Jesus has for us is compassionate. He understands the needs we have. He continually demonstrates that he's for us and not against us. We started this morning talking about how as an adoptive parent or as a step-parent, you've got to demonstrate that you're for your children over and over again. You have to demonstrate that you're capable, as we said, but you also have to be compassionate. And that's what God has done through Jesus. Throughout the Bible, God is described as a father. But it's really interesting because the descriptions of God as a father, they don't start way back at the beginning of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, nowhere in that book is God described as our father. The descriptions of God the Father don't start until later on. God's not described as a father until he adopts the people of Israel. He chooses them to be his children, his his set-apart group of people. He adopts them, and then he becomes their father. He looks at them in their plight, stuck in slavery, people walking in darkness. He sees their needs, and he has compassion on them. In fact, he even describes himself this way, the Lord The Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Not only is God capable of meeting our needs, he's compassionate. He chooses to love us. He sees our needs. He knows us. He chooses us. God's relationship as a father to us is based on 
his choice adopting us. And like we said at the beginning, that's a relationship that means you have to constantly demonstrate capability and compassion over and over again. And God does that. He demonstrates that compassionate love to people walking in darkness. People just like you and me over and over again. And he does it through his son, Jesus. Just as God adopted the Israelites and gave his love to them, so Jesus adopts us as his people and shows love to us. In the New Testament, this idea of being adopted into God's family is so clear. Everyone who's put their faith in Jesus has been adopted by God. Everyone who's a follower of Jesus gets to be a part of the fatherly love that Jesus offers us. The book of Romans says it this way, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We no longer have to live in fear, but we can live in light of God's compassionate love. We can come to him as our Abba, our Daddy. God is both capable of loving us and he's compassionate enough to show that love to us. His love casts out fear. We no longer have to worry if we'll be safe, if we'll be accepted, if our performance will be worthy enough for our Father to love us. We've been adopted by an everlasting Father, a Father who's capable of meeting our needs and a Father who's so compassionate in loving us. Where are you? Where are you in relation to fear, to worry? Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you're a slave to fear, just like it says here. Every new thing that comes up, every unexpected situation launches you into worry and fear. It's a cycle that you can't stop. Are you led by fear? The passage talks about being a slave to fear. And in the ancient world, slaves had no rights, no ability to change his or her situation, no freedom. They're at the mercy of their master. And even the nicest of masters is still a person who's in control of them. There's no upside to slavery, right? It's, it's a life of fear. But in the ancient world, when this Romans passage was written, if a person was adopted, that person was given full status as an heir. Everything the father has belongs to that child. An adopted child had, had full rights and privileges to be a part of the family. Love and security, not fear. The everlasting fatherly love that Jesus offers makes us children of God. His love adopts us. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer those who have no rights. We're sons and we're daughters given full rights and secure in the love that Jesus has to offer. His love looks on us with compassion. So God is capable of, And he's compassionate. God is able to see your deepest needs and he's able to sympathize with them. Not just to sympathize, but he's able to do something about them to meet those deep needs. And he does it all through this child, this child who was born and who loves us as an everlasting father, this child that we celebrate at Christmas. And of course, one of the things we do at Christmas is we give gifts. We buy gifts for our children, our loved ones, simply a reflection of what God has done for us, the compassion he shows in sending his son Jesus, the ultimate gift, a gift to a people walking in darkness. And, 
And in that spirit, in the spirit of Christmas, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you the gift of adoption. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to God, to be adopted into his family, to respond to what God has done through Jesus. He has demonstrated his capability and his compassion, but that demonstration requires a response, a response from us. Like any good father, he's not domineering, he's not forceful, he's loving and gracious. So he demonstrates his love for us, his his capability and his compassion, but he doesn't force that on us. He wants us to have it. He wants each and every person to respond to him, but he won't force himself. He, He Instead, he offers an invitation. And Jesus himself expresses the invitation the best. Listen to what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Even earthly fathers, we know how to give good gifts to children. I'm going to guess none of us have a snake wrapped up sitting under our Christmas tree waiting to be opened on Christmas morning, right? But Jesus is offering a good gift to you, a meaningful gift, the gift of adoption as a child of God. God has demonstrated over and over that he's capable of meeting your deepest needs. He's demonstrated over and over that he is compassionate, sympathizing with us, loving us. God's offer for us to be adopted requires a response. Notice what Jesus says here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. God's offer requires a response. We need to ask. God won't force himself on us. He wants us to ask. And that's the gift I want to give each of us today. I want to give us a chance to ask, to become a part of God's family. At Christmas time, we celebrate the baby Jesus who came to demonstrate God's love, and yet Jesus did not stay a baby. He grew up, and he demonstrated God's compassionate, fatherly love in the most amazing way possible, by dying for us. Jesus knew that there was a barrier between us and God, a barrier that keeps us from that perfect relationship with God, and that barrier is sin. Sin creates a barrier so that we are unable to come to God on our own. We need help. But because God is both capable and compassionate, he got rid of that barrier. God made a way that our sin could be dealt with, and Jesus is that way. Jesus' death on the cross pays the punishment that our sins deserve. Sin has consequences, and God knew we could never pay for our sins on our own. So he demonstrates his compassionate love for us by paying the price himself through Jesus. So the bad news for us is that we're sinners. We all have sin, that barrier that keeps us from God. But the good news for us is that Jesus' death and resurrection remove that barrier. Sin is no longer an obstacle. The work is done. Sin is paid for. All that's left is for us to respond, simply ask. And there's no magic formula 
how to ask God. There's not a specific prayer you have to say, just the right words in just the right way. No, God makes it very, very simple. It's as simple as ABC. A means you admit. You admit that you're a sinner. Just be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Come to terms with the fact that you have a need for God in your life. You know, we talk a lot at Christmas time about Jesus as king. You hear it in all the Christmas songs we sing, you know, Christ the Lord, the newborn king, right? Well, one of the things it means is that if he's the king, then you're not, and I'm not. I mean, we all want to be king of our own lives. We all want to feel like we're in charge, it's all about us. But the first step to becoming part of God's family is admitting that we're not the king. We're not the one calling all the shots. Admitting that we need God, that's the first step. And that means admitting that we're not perfect. We have sin in our lives. The next step, B, means believe. Believe. Believe that God has demonstrated his love for you and me through his son Jesus. The Apostle Paul says that in the book of Romans. God demonstrates his own love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ was willing to die for you and for me, even though he knows the truth about us. We're sinners. But we don't have to stay that way. Jesus died and was raised from the dead so that we could be adopted into God's family. Do you believe that? There's one more step. One more thing to do to respond to God's offer. The C stands for confess. Confess. Remember what Jesus says. Everyone who asks receives. God wants you to respond, to ask. That means confessing your need to God for him. You admit to him that you are not perfect. You're a sinner. You believe that Jesus is the solution for your sin problem, and you confess. You say those things to God. And in just a moment, I'm going to give each of us the chance to do just that. Talked a lot this morning about my own adopted children, the need that I have as their father to constantly demonstrate that I'm for them, that I love them. But there's something else. Because of their background, they resist that fatherly love. They're resistant to open their hearts to love because that everlasting fatherly love has not been modeled for them. Their hearts have been hardened by their own experiences. Maybe that describes you. Maybe you're resistant. Maybe you're reluctant to give your heart fully to God. But everyone who asks receives. The everlasting Father is the Father who gives good gifts to his children. You can trust him. You don't have to resist. So let's take a moment to pray together. That's the way you ask God. Just pray. You don't have to pray out loud. God can hear your heart. There's no specific words, but I'll pray, and you can just pray along with what I say in your own words. So bow your heads with me, if you would. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good father. And we thank you that you love us, even though we're sinners. You're capable of meeting our deepest needs. And Father, we admit that we're sinners. We believe that your son Jesus is the only way we can have a right relationship with you, and we want that. We want that work that Jesus has done to be applied to our lives. We want to be adopted into your family. So we confess our need for you, God, and for your son Jesus. We ask that you would come into our hearts and make your love a reality for us. Adopt us, Lord. And I want to pray especially for the person who maybe grew up with 
uh, a father who was a poor example of God's love or a person who grew up without a father, didn't have that kind of love model. I want to pray that you would speak to that person, God, and break down that, that hardened layer of resistance. Help them know that you love them as an everlasting father with compassion, that you're capable of meeting those deep, deep needs, Lord, healing those deep hurts. And I want to pray for the person who's maybe been around for a really long time, been around church for a long time, and has never really come to full terms with this decision, this decision to confess to you their need. I want to pray that you would just show your fatherly love to that person, not forcing yourself on them, but just holding out that loving invitation to them. God, I thank you that you hear our prayers and you're capable of doing something about them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.